0: Let me start with this. Society is telling us that we should determine how we're victims and that we should base our lives on that. Okay, that's according to Charles, I'm sorry, Carl Truman, who wrote The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and this other guy, Charles Taylor, who wrote Expressive Individualism. Two different books saying similar things. Society or the world is leading us is encouraging us to determine how we've been mistreated, how have we been victimized, and then to build our identity on that. Did you know that? That is the sum total of who you are. You're a victim of someone, you're a victim of something. That's what the secular creed says. If you are familiar with that sign that sometimes gets put in people's yards. Whether it's your race, your gender, your sexuality, whether it's the environment, whether it's financially. Find somebody to blame. Determine how you've been victimized and find somebody to blame for that. That is who you are. You are a victim of someone. And I'm not arguing that people haven't been mistreated. Certainly there, there is evidence of that. And that is part of our story. But that is not the whole story, right? That is not our identity, how we've been mistreated. That song that we just said, sang said, my life is found in Christ Jesus. That's where our life is as Christians, right? But we fall victim to this victim mentality, in the church Christians used to be uh, respectable <laughs> we used to we used to be decent people now a lot of times we're the bad guys Christians definition of gender and marriage has now point, pointed to in some circumstances as damaging or harmful and it's going to get worse probably and so we hear stories from, from each other of where Christians are being persecuted, how, how the church is being victimized. I heard a story, I don't know, somebody told me this is from Canada, and I don't know the truth to this, but somebody was locked up because they were advocating that their daughter shouldn't uh, take the hormone therapy to, to engage in transgender that transgender process and they were locked up and, and the person was telling me this to see see we're victims we're being victimized like he's playing the victim card is that what we should be doing it's actually seep. it's not just culturally it's seeping into our into our relationships too <laughs> no that wasn't the right answer I'm <laughs> trying to ignore that we'll talk to her later Simple misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> it's seeping into our relationships too. We become victims of, of our relationships. You think of a family relationship. There's so many, so many difficult family relationships uh, my own family and all of yours, I'm sure. We could all tell stories, right? Where you sit and say, Mom, Dad, you're the reason that I'm the way that I am. You're the reason. I'm suffering. I'm a victim of how I was raised. Or you flip it and say, son, daughter, it's the way you act is is leading to my suffering. It's the way that you have treated people. Now I'm suffering. Brother, sister, wife, husband. It's because of you that I am suffering. I'm a victim, and it's because of you. Like the victim mentality has seeped into our lives and it's because that's what the world is leading us to the world is telling us we should determine how we're victims and we should we should build our lives on that the bible tells us we should become a victim on behalf of other people did you catch that The world is telling us you are a victim because of other people. The Bible and Paul is telling us to become a victim on behalf of others. The world is saying that suffering has no meaning. It should be ended. We should stop it completely, and and certainly we, we should try to eliminate suffering. The world is saying there is no meaning. The Bible says there is purpose in suffering, and as Christians, we should suffer on purpose. There is purpose and suffering, and we should suffer on purpose. This is what Paul's talking about. This is where Paul's at today in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Let me reread the first verse. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then, I don't, can, it, can you tell, is there a dash up there? I can't tell. There's a dash in your Bibles, and then he starts like rambling. He, st- he, gets, he gets thrown off track. He gets interrupted. He, start- he goes into a tangent. He goes down a rabbit hole or a rabbit trail, whatever that saying is. And he starts talking about some other stuff some random stuff he starts talking about the mystery of grace he starts talking about how he is a minister of the gospel on behalf of the gentiles then he talks about the church the manifold wisdom of the church the unsearchable riches of christ he like rambles for 13 verses and then in verse 14 he says again for this reason i bow my knees before the father and then he starts talking about a prayer verses 2 through 13 in your bible is a, an interrupted thought of Paul's. He's interrupted and he's interrupted by the mystery of the grace. It's one thing we're gonna talk about. And he's interrupted because he's telling us he is a minister of the gospel on behalf of the Gentiles. Let me just summarize. There's seven verses. We haven't gone through seven verses in a while, right? Like we go like one or two verses at a time. This is like a lot for us. So let me summarize what Paul is telling us in these seven verses. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's the first thing. Because of the mystery of the grace that was revealed to me. That's the second thing. So that I can be a minister of the gospel on behalf of sinners. One more time. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not really a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner of Rome. We'll get to that in just a second. Because of the mystery of the grace that was revealed to me. Why is it so mysterious? He's just been talking about it for the last two chapters. Didn't he already tell us this? Why is it a mystery, Paul? We'll get to that in just a second. So that I could be a minister of the gospel on behalf of sinners. That one's pretty obvious. Let me just leave that one. Let's talk about the prisoner thing first. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Like I said, he's not a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I read that he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He took this group of Gentiles into the temple where only Jews should go. He brought the Gentiles in there. The Jews got ticked. They told the Romans, you should lock this guy up because he violated our law. So the Romans locked him up. So he's not literally a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner of the Jews and the Romans. But do you see him mentioning that in here? He doesn't mention that. He's not a victim of the Jews and the Romans. He says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He is controlled. He is confined. He is in captivity. He is deprived of liberty against his will. That's what it means to be a prisoner. He's sitting in a first century Roman dungeon, which I imagine is relatively unpleasant, subject to discomfort and beatings and, and everything, but he's saying, that that can't touch me. That I don't care what Rome does to me. I don't care what the Jews do to me. I am a prisoner to Christ Jesus. I am bound to Christ Jesus. I am shackled to Jesus. I serve Jesus. I am enslaved to Jesus, and nothing around me, no, no matter how bad the mistreatment, that does not Define me. That is not my identity. My identity is in the fact that I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Do you know how crazy this is? He was just victimizing Christians a few years earlier. He was persecuting Christians. Now he's being persecuted for being a Christian. He was victimizing Christians. Now he's a victim for Christians. He was a prisoner, or excuse me, he was making prisoners of Christians. Overseeing the murders of Christians. Now he is a prisoner for Christians on the behalf of Christians. Do you know that we are imprisoned too? We are imprisoned by our feelings. We are imprisoned by our emotions. We are imprisoned by our trauma. We are imprisoned by how people have mistreated us. We are imprisoned by our own victimhood. And we need to push that aside, and we need to, instead of being a victim, we need to become a victim on behalf of others. And the same way that Paul does it is the same way that we do it. Remember my little thesis statement, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus because of the mystery of the grace that was revealed to me. Let's talk about the mystery for a second. Verse 1, he says, for this reason, is how he starts with verse 1. He's like going back to the first two chapters. He's saying, for this reason that I just mentioned, in the last two chapters of my letter, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's looking backwards, but he's also looking forwards to this rambling that he's about to talk about. He mentions the mystery three times. He says in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And then in verse 4, he says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then in verse 6, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Why a mystery? The gospel is a mystery. Tim Keller, I listened to what he had to say on this, on this section. And he says, the gospel doesn't make sense to us. If you told us that God loved the people that worked really hard, that would make sense. All right, if you, to- if you told us that, Um, God would save those who sacrificed the most, who, who struggled the most, who gave the most, who did the most. That would make sense to us, wouldn't it? Like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that guy, that gal deserves to be saved. They're hustling. But the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says the opposite of that. The gospel says it's the ones that are least worthy the ones that are most sinful, and acknowledge that, that God wants to save. It is a mystery. Why would he do that? Why would God create this incredible world that we live in, create all of us, put us in it, allow us to rebel against him, allow us to to claim that we're self-justified, self-dependent, self-reliant, self-righteous, allow us to reject him and rebel against him we would allow us to victimize god right i don't need you god i'll do my own thing he allows us to rebel against him and then we don't we don't say that we're sinful we don't acknowledge that we're sinful what do we do we're imprisoned to our own victimhood we talk about everybody else that's rebelled against us that's rejected us God created the world. He creates us. We rebel against Him. We cry about our own mistreatment. And then God sends His Son to live this perfect life without spot or blemish, to come and, and show us exactly how to live, to, to tell us exactly what, what, uh, what God thinks. He goes to the cross for us. But before He does, He becomes a prisoner for our freedom. He sits on death row for us, so that we can go free. And he is murdered, he is murdered. He has, I, was, I, I smashed my hand this week and I was thinking like, that hurt like heck. And I was thinking, what would it have been like to have some first century rusty nails stuck through my hand? That would hurt like heck. And pinned to a beam over here. And then you get the other one pounded through your hand, into another beam. And then, I don't know how it was done, but I think they, he, they stacked his two feet together, and then they pounded a nail, a rusty, probably blunt nail, through two of his feet, stuck him to this cross, and then lifted him up, so that the only thing that's holding him to the cross are his nailed hands and his nailed feet. And the only way you can breathe is if you push off the thing that hurts like heck, your hands and your feet. So that you would just sit there and probably suffocate. Jesus is the biggest victim of all time, the most mistreated person ever. Should we really be like trying to claim victim status when the, the Son of God, who is perfect, was treated this way and ultimately bleeds out and dies on a cross? Why would God allow His Son to be treated like this for you? And for me, it is a mystery, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. We're not worthy of that. But that's the way he wanted it. He wanted to die for the hopeless. He wants to die for the helpless. He wants to die for the ridiculous, not for the righteous. When you see God's grace as a mystery oh it's starting to make sense to you when you see God's grace when you hear it you say yeah why would he have done that like this is somewhat unbelievable but that son of God would leave heaven and come and do this for us it it feels unbelievable it feels too good to be true I'm not worthy I've got too much sin when you see it as a mystery the mystery has been revealed to you you got it It must be a mystery to you. It's a mystery to Paul. Paul came face to face with Jesus. It must be a mystery to us. If it's not a mystery to you, if it makes sense, if it makes perfect sense, you think, look at me, I'm in good shape, I should be saved because of all the work that I've done, then you've missed it. It's still a mystery, and it hasn't been revealed to you. Last part of that is that it was revealed to Paul. He didn't figure it out. He didn't achieve it. He didn't work for it. He's cruising down the road about to persecute some more Christians, and he's like, bam, knocked upside the head with it. Blinded to his current path, persecuting Christians, and then eyes opened to a new path. The eyes of his heart were enlightened to his sin and God's grace. That's how it happened for Paul. Guess what? That's how it happens to us. In the midst of our sin, it becomes revealed to us our sinfulness in His grace. So let me ask you Has the mystery of God's grace been revealed to you? Has your life been interrupted by the mystery of God's grace? I told you he started writing a thought, and then his letter was interrupted by the mystery of God's grace. Has your life been interrupted by God's grace? Is it obvious that it's been interrupted? He says in verse 2, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's like, assuming you've heard about my life, assuming you know, like I assume you've heard of what I'm doing, like I'm preaching the gospel everywhere I go, I'm in prison on behalf of you, like assuming you've heard of that, it's obvious, Paul's life, is it obvious, our lives, that we've been interrupted by the mystery of God's grace? Like think honestly for a second, on a scale of a tender to disciple where do you stand? Where do you lie in this? An attender that just comes and checks it out and says, ah, yeah, that's cool. To a disciple, where do you stand? Do you fall short of a disciple? I think of a, if a, we're honest, a lot of us, we will say, yes, I, I fall a little short. I got a little bit of work to do. If you feel that way, we got, your, we got your solution for you. We got something that can help you move along that line from a tender to disciple. And it has to do with suffering. It's time to stop being a victim. It's time to stop being controlled by how you've been mistreated. And it's time to become a victim. We now surf suffer excuse me with purpose we now suffer on purpose okay there's two different levels of suffering here we suffer as a christian and we can suffer for being a christian two different things and i got two different stories to help illustrate this in high school i spent uh, an evening in jail (laughs) um I was at a uh, football game. You probably didn't know that about me. Not many people do. Um, I was at a football game and some buddies and I grabbed a case of beer and we went to watch uh, Sprague football game. Um, and I don't remember exactly what what went down, but I think we got a little rowdy. And we ended up leaving early because it was becoming obvious that we were, we were drinking. And so we're w- walking out to the car. We realized that the officer of the game or whatever that was there for the game was coming with us. He was walking behind us, so we started walking a little faster Uh, and um, I jumped in the pickup and we all jumped in in the car and I took off. So I thought we could outrun the cop pretty easily if I'm in a car and he's on foot. So I cruised around the back side of Sprague. There's a a gate that opens um, uh, the back exit and I'm like, once I get to that exit, I'm home free. He won't know. But you know, you didn't see my license plate or anything. I think I can get out of here. And the vice principal apparently was one step ahead of me. Pam Rowland, That's her name. She had to deal with a few porter boys at Sprague. She jumps in front of my pickup. Like, I'm like, the, the exit's like from here to that door. I'm in my pickup and I'm not going slow, I'm going fast. And she risks her life to make sure that I am busted. And she got lucky. I stepped on the brakes, and I didn't continue to go forward. I, but I would not do that. I would okay. Go ahead. Catch you next time. So they pull us out. I mean, so I stop. The cop shows up. They pull us all out. They set us on the curb. I don't know what happened to everybody else. It was just me. Uh, it's, I don't know if they took them inside or something. But I'm left on the curb, hands in cuffs, and the football game gets out, and I am shamed. Like, everybody walks by, and, it's, um, and it was brutal. And so they call my folks. My folks were at a Bible study, of course. Um, so they didn't come pick me up, so they took me to Juvie. So I, uh, so I, have, a little, I have a little time. <laughs> I didn't get any tattoos or anything in the two hours I was there, but I got a little prison time. And I would love to, I don't remember what my dad said to me. I think it was quiet. Uh, I would have loved to go back and hear that conversation, how that how that went down. Anyways, I end up making bad decisions then for like several more years, right? Nine more years, ultimately, to be honest. I was suffering, maybe as a Christian. I don't know if I was a Christian back then or not. I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. It wasn't acting like a Christian. But I was suffering... Not a victim of anybody else. I'm a victim of my own stupidity. Is there purpose in my suffering, do you think? Could there be purpose in suffering like that? Absolutely. God often uses our suffering, whether it comes from somebody else or whether it comes from yourself. He uses that suffering to get our attention. C.S. Lewis says, we can ignore pleasure... But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses suffering in your life. If you're suffering right now, if you've suffered, let me tell you, it's not for nothing. The world would say it's, it's for nothing. No, it's for something. It's so God could draw you near to him, so he could suck you in, so you might open this book one day and say, dude, I need help. I need solutions. I'm desperate. Even the Bible I will open. God uses that to bring us close to him, to deepen our faith, to enrich our faith, whether it was from somebody else or it was because of yourself or because of some random health situation. Whatever you're going through, there is purpose in your suffering for your own faith and for the faith of other people that are watching you cling to the cross as you go through that suffering. There is purpose in your suffering no matter what you're going through. But as a Christian... We should suffer on purpose. That's next level suffering, if you will. I got another story for this. In jail again, you guys didn't know I was in jail twice. Did you? This was this jail was a little different. So people used to ask me uh, a little bit ago, like, "Hey, you know, normal questions. How's work going? How's church? How's the family?" And I probably replied twenty times, like. When someone asked about the family, I'd say, actually, things are phenomenal. I am out of baby jail. I am no longer in baby jail. The babies don't dictate where we go, what we do, how we do it. I, there's no more diapers. There's no more packing plays. We can just toss them in the car. We take off. We went to, what, Wallawa last summer and then on to Ida to Silverwood and then we went to Yellowstone and then we darted all the way back. Like, it was awesome. And then 10 weeks ago, I got locked up again <laughs> charlie uh, back in back in baby jail, and the other day I'm holding Charlie, okay, who's good kid, cute kid, which makes it easy to to suffer. <laughs> I'm not a great dad in case you in case you didn't know <laughs> newborns are not my thing. I'm still waiting to figure out what is my thing um, but i he had a couple shots the other day, and so he's screaming bloody murder. I come home, Holly hands him to me. I take him upstairs and close the door, and he's screaming. You know, like when babies scream, like it's blood curdling, like like his face is beet red. Like we call him beet face when he, when he screams like this because it's so red. Dude, and I'm just holding him like, oh, my gosh, this is brutal. But I'm just looking at him like, I got you, dude. Cry away, man. I will suffer for you. I will suffer because someone suffered for me and did this for me. I will suffer and I will take it. I can take it. I will sit here and let you cry until you fall asleep. This is a picture of what Jesus did for us, right? Go ahead. Cry. Go ahead. Wail. I know you were mistreated. I know you're suffering. I know you're in pain. I can take it. Jesus suffered for us on purpose. And now we get to suffer on purpose for other people. We do this with individuals who are suffering around us. Kids, obviously, but people around us that are needy, people around us that that are struggling in pain. As Christians, we need to be searching out these opportunities to suffer on purpose for them with our money, with our time, with our mouths, speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel. I got one more story, sorry. Someone just, uh, I was walking the kids home from school on Friday, the the girls, um, and this kid sometimes will tag up with us uh, and walk with us most of the way home, and the kid just is a uh, talker, right? What did you have for lunch today? I had pretzels today. I'm getting pretty good at video games. I've been playing Fortnite a lot. Do you play video games? You know, it's just like all the way home, and we kind of roll our eyes like, oh, my gosh. What's his face is here again? Like, oh, jeez. <laughs> but, but on Friday, I know it's funny. I'm trying to be serious. Sorry. Um, on Friday, he says, uh, yeah, so my dad's in prison, and I was like. Yeah. I said, how long is your dad in prison for? Oh, two years. He didn't do it, though. He's not, he's not guilty. He, he didn't do it. Okay. I said, so what? You staying with your mom? Yeah, I'm staying with my mom. Yeah, we're kind of broke, though. We don't have much money. Uh, I got these old shoes, but I'll be okay. These, these things will be all right. I think just they'll hold together. Like, dude. How does a disciple, how does a prisoner of Christ Jesus see a situation like that and not suffer on purpose for that kid what i mean is how do we not spend money in a way that we wouldn't normally spend money how do we not like spend time where we wouldn't normally spend time with this kid how do you let this kid walk out of your life and not like reach in and say hold on let me can i can i help can can you do you want to come over you know or what can i share the gospel with you how do, we, how do we not suffer on purpose for Christian, as Christians on behalf of others? How do we not become a victim, I, even though that's, like, that's not really becoming a victim by looking out for the skin. We need to be finding opportunities to give, to serve, to spend time where we wouldn't normally spend time, and to speak up and share the gospel when we normally wouldn't. The church, I just want to tell you, is a place where we try to do this. We, we invite everybody to come together. We hustle to try to get everything in place. And we, we wanna come here and encourage you guys to serve, to, to to not just attend, but to serve and do something you wouldn't normally do, like get here at 7.30 to help set up the stage or to sit in a worm shed, like imprisoned back there with elementary kids for an hour and a half, something you wouldn't normally do, but because you're a prisoner of Christ Jesus, you're bound by Christ Jesus, you're a servant of Christ Jesus, you would say, I would even do that. And give to the local church. The local church, he doesn't talk about it in this section, it's the next section, but the local church is how the gospel is to be revealed to the world. This is how we can suffer on purpose. I hate PowerPoint. I was just in a presentation this week, uh, and the guy was giving us PowerPoints, uh, and there were spreadsheets on them. It was like, I was like, thank God I don't have to do PowerPoint when I speak, you know. But I have some PowerPoints for you, I'm sorry. I'm, gonna, I'm asking for you guys to suffer on purpose and to put the church in your budget. This is how you can suffer on purpose. We need you to. The last, uh, the last year, giving has been pretty good. Can we throw those up? That sounds like, like, can we puke those up? Okay, the last year, this church, and when I say church, I mean Salem and Silverton. Salem and Silverton has brought in fifty-nine thousand bucks a month year-to-date. Pretty sweet, man. It's pretty great news. And I'm just gonna fly through these. And the expenses of Salem and Silverton is the next uh, is the next slide is about the same. Our budget is like this. Do you know what I mean when I do this? Like we're above water, but not by much. You know what I mean. <laughs> It's, pre- it's pretty tight. I actually think we're below water by a couple hundred bucks a month, but there, I think we have 70 grand in, in savings the last time I checked, just, just so you are aware of what's going on. And the way that we've designed our budget for these this two locations, one church and two locations, is we take the number of people that are here and we figure out what percentage of the total church that is, and the budget should be split up based on the, based on the percentage of people that are here. Will you, will you throw up the uh, the next monthly giving by location? Hold on, is there a uh, attendance? Yeah, there we go. So total attendance is 484. It's like 280 in Salem. It's like 200 out in uh, 200 out in in Silverton. Um, there you go. So in Silverton, we want to try to cover 40% of the expenses of the church because 40% of the people are coming on an average basis or on a, on a weekly basis. Make sense? The giving out in Silverton, which I think is the next one. I'm sorry, I'm like so blind. Yeah, that's right. Is 17, almost 18 grand. That's pretty sweet, okay? Like, that's actually good news. I gotta tell you, in Salem, when we started Salem, it took us like five years to get to this number. It's taken Silverton like 16 months to get to 18 grand a month. That's, that's good news, just so you know, but we've got more good news, and that is we're not done yet. We need to keep going, and we need to keep raising funds. 18,000 is like 30% of the budget, okay? And we want to raise 40% of the budget every month out here in Silverton that means we need to get to 25 grand so that means we're behind by like seven grand a month this I'm just telling you what we're shooting for here this is what we want to do on a regular basis we don't want to necessarily be here we've never been a big savings church we've got some in savings it's actually more than we've had in quite a while but I'm in my 40s now we probably should have at least a couple months worth in savings if we can raise money if we can get people to to join with us and to spend money in areas that they wouldn't normally spend money and give to the local church and put the church in their budget every month we can get there we can we can pad the budget a little bit put some money in savings so that we could develop a long-term plan for facilities for staff we want to hire a full-time pastor out here at some point a full-time worship leader so Salem people don't have to come and lead worship for us every week there's a lot. There's a lot going on. We're we're trying to raise seven thousand a month. I just wanted to. Put, I'm asking you guys to put it in your budget. I thought you guys should know what the total expenses are in this place. That's what it is. And then that last slide is the total amount. Someday, forty whatever whatever that says forty plus thousand. That's, that would cover a full-time pastor, that would cover a facility, that would cover staff. If this church wants to be autonomous on its own, which we don't care if this church becomes its own and separates from the other from the other church, this is what we would need. For now, we're loving it. We're having a great time. This is a blast. This is the plan for the future, and I wanted to show you in specific what that looks like. And want to ask you if you wouldn't mind suffering on purpose for the local church. If the mystery has been revealed to you here at this church, if you have heard the gospel and it has mattered to you, please consider giving and serving. We need people helping. The parking lot to the, to the pulpit here. We need band members. We need it all. We need people in kids' ministry And then we need people to share the gospel, right, with each other in community. As we come here, as we hang out together, be looking for people that are struggling, be looking for people that are imprisoned by their own victimhood of how they've been mistreated. We want to create an opportunity for the gospel to be shared, not just up front, but in the pews, in relationship, getting coffee, you know, in community groups. This is what the local church is doing and this is how we can move from a tender to disciple to suffer on purpose and to join with us and become a prisoner of Christ Jesus just like Paul let me end here with we want to exchange the imprisonment of our victimhood for the freedom of being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. We wanna stop being a victim of other people and we want to become victims on behalf of others, on behalf of sinners who need to hear the gospel. And the whole reason we do it is because the the mystery of the grace has been revealed to us because Jesus gave up his freedom so that we could be free. That's the whole reason that we would suffer on purpose together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words of Paul here. God, we pray over uh, hearts this morning who are listening to this. I pray that they would hear something new. I pray that they would hear something compelling, that they would if they're suffering that they would see purpose in their suffering they would they would hear you calling out to them that they would be compelled to open the word of god and to and to believe the unbelievable I pray that people would, would not be satisfied with just attending church, whether it's this church or another church, w- wherever, that they would, they would not be satisfied with attending, but they would move along the line towards a disciple, somebody who's, who's obedient uh, for a long period of time. I pray that, that something would resonate, that something would be revealed to them from, from your scripture this morning, and we could move that our hearts would move and our lives would change. I pray that we could say, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus because of the mystery of the grace that was revealed to me so that I can participate, so I can help, so I can be a minister of the gospel on behalf of others. Pray this in your great name. Amen.